God quickens a scripture in my heart that becomes kind of my scripture for the year. And it becomes like this, this hook on a rope that I throw out to January 1st of 2013. And then I pull it back taut like a rope and I wrap it around my heart and I let it pull me to a new place in Jesus throughout the year. See, I'm a teacher and teachers are passionate about spiritual growth. First and foremost about mine, because if I'm not, things aren't changing in my life, I am no use to anyone else. The idea of living the same year over and over and over again and going around the same mountain and dealing with the same stuff all the time would just drive me berserk. I want to see change. I want to be more like Jesus in 2013, January 1st of 2013, than I am today, January 1st of 2012. I'm passionate about that. that. That's kind of my heartbeat. And so that comes across, even as a teacher here at church, I'm passionate about helping you grow. I want to see you grow. My greatest thrill is to have people come and say, I have changed in 2012. I see a real difference in me. And so today I just want to share the scripture that God's given me for 2012. It might work for you. You might want to adopt this practice. You might want to find another scripture and kind of work through this process and and let it pull you to a new place in 2013. But what I would say is don't settle for the same old, same old. Make 2012 different. If nothing else, determine that there are going to be things that will change in your life, not in other people's lives. You don't get to change your spouse with that decision. You don't get to change your kids with that decision. You don't have that power. You can only change you. Cool? So, my scripture, Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wow, we can read that quick. Simple to read, hard to live out. Listen to that scripture again. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, that scripture is so simple. And yet what it calls us to is so magnificent that if we'll let it sink into our heart, it will truly take our breath away. We'll begin to see every aspect of our life from a different angle. And instead of being mundane and boring, okay, I know, if you're anything like me, January, February, and March are kind of, you know, we just kind of get through them because we're waiting for spring and summer to live again. And some of you are smart enough to go away on a Caribbean vacation or something like that because you just want to get out of this place. But i got to tell you, God has a plan for January, February, and March. And he can give you a breathtaking life in that moment. You don't have to escape to have an exciting life. You can have an exciting life in January, February, and March. And this scripture is one of the ways to do that. I, I have to, whenever you teach, you have to be aware that you have biases. And so rather than hide mine, I'm just going to tell you what mine is. I believe that Jesus came, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God of all creation, one equal with God, who's lived forever. Time is not a big deal for him. He sees the beginning from the end. He is the beginning and the end. 
I believe he came. He chose to reduce himself to a little baby and into this world, just like you and me. God himself chose to become flesh and live in the most extraordinary life. In fact, the most revolutionary life that has ever been lived. And then at the end of that life, he allowed himself to die the most agonizing death one could ever die. And on the third day, he rose. He did the unthinkable. He rose. He appeared in human form. He's ascended to heaven, and guess what? He is coming back. I believe that. I have no questions about that. That is my heartbeat. I believe that, and I'm passionate about sharing that with other people. But I don't believe Jesus did all that to give you a dull, boring, mundane, dud life. I believe living as a Christian, living as a Christ follower, is the most exciting way to live. And if it hasn't been yet, I challenge you. Get on board with the reality of what it means to truly be a Christ follower. And this scripture will help you do it. So can we walk through this? You know, we live in a day and age that this scripture is so relevant for. Some people question, is the Bible relevant? Paul wrote this scripture, this chapter, the book of Colossians, to a church in Turkey from a prison in Rome. And he wrote it because there was a bunch of heretical teaching trying to infiltrate the church that Jesus wasn't that big a deal. He really wasn't central, and he wasn't supreme, and he wasn't divine. And that there were a lot of ways you could have a relationship and get spiritual fulfillment. You didn't have to do it with Jesus. He was just one of the ways. Now, does that sound like anything we're facing in our culture today? In the world around us, the world says, ah, yeah, Jesus is one of the ways. He's not the, the way. You can't really be that absolute about it. And Paul wrote Colossians to counteract that thinking. And he really laid out who Jesus is. And this is the Christian worldview. It's contained in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 19. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. In other words, when you see Jesus, you see God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things, that phrase is going to be repeated multiple times, catch it. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Catch this phrase. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And as a Christ follower, all his fullness now dwells in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote that, and he expounded on that in Colossians 1 and 2. And it's great theology, but sometimes we start getting our heads in the theology and the philosophy of things, and we forget that it really has a very relevant application in our day-in and day-out life. So the church in Col- so that the church in Colossians wouldn't for- in Colossae wouldn't forget that, he then goes on in chapter 3 and 4 and writes what that means. 
So Jesus has preeminence. So he is the Godhead. So he is first and he is supreme. What does that mean for our lives in the 21st century? Colossians 3.17 says it all. And whatever you do, because Jesus is supreme, because Jesus is central, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Len Sweet, who's one of my favorite authors, has this quote in his book, Jesus Manifesto. When Christ is not central and supreme in our lives, everything about life shifts out of orbit and moves out of kilter. Let me read that again. When Christ is not central and supreme in our lives, everything about life shifts out of orbit and moves out of kilter. I think we could all say we've experienced that. That whenever life is out of kilter, out of whack, there's chaos where there should be peace. We can honestly say it's because we've lost sight of who Jesus is and what our relationship with him is. That's why it's so important to come to church on time and experience the presence of God in worship because it kind of recenters you and gets your eyes back on the one who is supreme and central to all of life. Colossians 3.17 calls us to account on that. It's not a command. It's not an imperative. It's an, it's an invitation. It's an opportunity to live this most exciting life that Jesus did everything for you to live. I pray that you'll quit looking at Christianity as, restic- as restrictive and begin to look at it as the opportunity to have the most fulfillment you can have this side of heaven. So I want to break Colossians 3.17 down. Three parts to it. Whatever, not whatever, but whatever, whatever we do. Number two, do it in Jesus' name. And number three, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let's take those one at a time. Whatever we do. What does whatever include? You know, I've been working for six weeks on this, just chewing, meditating, eating, you know, feeding, being held accountable, being dealt with on this verse. And so far, I haven't found anything that falls outside of whatever. God has been knocking on my heart about anything and everything because whatever I do is included in this. See, what this scripture does is it ends the compartmentalization of life. It ends the sacred and the secular. Everything is sacred. What you do Tuesday morning when you go back to your job or you go back to school or you go back to being housewife and all the the craziness of the holidays are over and life goes back to what the normal routine is, everything that you do is every bit as sacred as what I'm doing right now in teaching you the word of God. There is no calling to be a Christian or calling to be a pastor. You are as every bit as accountable as I am 
standing here to God. Every part of your life fits in. We don't like that. We like to keep control. There are certain pockets that we don't want God to get into. We don't want God to get into our home life. We want to run our home the whatever way we want to run our home. We don't want God to be on the marketplace. We want to make the buck. We want to operate by situational ethics. We want to leave Jesus in the car when we go into the office because we've got a job and we've got to get that job done. And It doesn't matter how we treat people. We're just going to get it done. We don't take Jesus to school because school's school. It, you know, we leave him in the backpack, in the locker. He doesn't have a say in school. God cares about school. Jesus cares about how we live at school, how we treat our classmates, how we respond to our teachers. Yep. The other one we don't like to let God into is our free time. Oh, heaven forbid we'd submit our free time to God. Or how about our thought life? That's the part that nobody else sees, but we know. What do we think about? Can I tell you that what you think about today will determine what your tomorrow is like? And if you let your thought life run rampant in a destructive way, it will bring destruction into your life. The first thing right here is important. And what goes on there, God can see and hear. And he doesn't want you to have a destructive thought life. Here's a, here's a few more that get a little bit more. You know, if this has been tense, it's going to get a little bit more tense. Uh, you know, they one, he's talking about our bodies. The Bible says our bodies are the temple. God has an opinion about what we do with this body, which leads me to the next one, which I can't believe I'm going to talk about in church on Sunday morning as a single woman. Your sex life is part of whatever. Now, don't freak out, parents, and I'm not going to get, make this X-rated. But your sex life is important to God. What happens in the bedroom, what happens wherever it happens, is important to God. And singles, it's really important to God about when it happens. Your sex life is part of whatever and now, the other one that makes everybody really nervous is your money. In fact, it's not your money. It's the money that God has given you to steward, and it comes under whatever. Whatever you do, do it all. Whatever you do. You know, C.S. Lewis said that he, he made a great phrase, and I just have to read it. It says, we regard God as an airman regards his parachute. It's there for emergencies, but he hopes he'll never have to use it. Unfortunately, in America, a lot of our attitude is, God, I got it. I can handle it. I know how to manage life. And then when we screw it up, we come running back to him, and we pull our prayers out, and we recommit, and we rededicate, and we... And you're glad I'm not God in those moments. Because God embraces you, and receives you, and picks you up in his arms, and holds you, and comforts you. 
And yes, you will experience the consequences of those decisions. But it was never God's heart in the first place for, to you, for you to experience the crisis that running your own life, your own way, has produced for you. Now, does that mean following Jesus doesn't produce crises? Oh, no, they always come. Huh. It's earth. We don't get out of crisis until we get to heaven. But crises come because we live on a sin-cursed earth, not because we're running our own life and making stupid decisions that cause us pain and suffering. And then when those crises come because we live in a sin-cursed world, God is there to give us wisdom, to guide us through it, and we can still bring glory to his name. And our world doesn't fall apart. We still stay centered and grounded because we realize everything in life we're accountable to him. Part two, whatever we do, how do we do it? We do it in his name. Well, what does that mean? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we're his representatives. We're his ambassadors, that we are his hands and his feet. We're here no matter where we are. We are here because we belong to him and it's not by accident where we find ourselves. There is a purpose there. More importantly, we are living this life on person with a one goal to bring glory and honor to his name. So no matter where we are or what we're doing, we have one purpose, to honor and glorify Jesus. Wow. First Peter 1.17 says, Your life is a journey. You must travel with the deep consciousness of God. We are Christ's hands and feet. We are Christ in this world no matter where we are. You know, this is the only service that Pastor Rob isn't watching live online from Valencia because he's actually in service live in Valencia. But when I found out last night at about 4.10 that Pastor Rob was going to be watching the service live online, and I was going to be preaching, can I tell you, my heart kind of skipped a beat. <laughs> I don't know, you know, it probably doesn't bother you, but when, when you teach in a church where Pastor Rob, who is a phenomenal teacher, I love listening to Pastor Rob's messages, and then you try to step in for a weekend, that can mess with your head. Now, I'm glad I've been doing this long enough to say, okay, Jesus, it's really not about me. It's all about you. But I stand here in the fear of God, grateful for the opportunity to minister to you. But I'm standing here as Pastor Rob's representative. Because what I do here reflects on a lifelong dream of Pastor Rob. And I can tarnish the reputation of this church, and I can tarnish the reputation of Pastor Rob by what I do here. Now, thank God our church is healthy and strong enough and could survive any stupid mistake I would ever make. And I pray that I don't make one that bad. But if you think that doesn't bring a fear of God in my life, what about you, wherever you go. And can I be really honest with you? You can sit here and listen to me today and say, wow, she can really preach. But you know what? I'm human. And if you ever caught me 
in a TSA line at the airport, which you've heard me talk about before, or at a target return line in the next couple of weeks, and I was blowing steam off or something else on somebody that was trying to help me, it would diminish the value of this ministry to you. How much more what you do wherever you do it when you claim to be a Christ follower and then you compartmentalize your life and this becomes an act on Sunday morning rather than a lifestyle that you lead 24-7, 365 days a year. Hmm? Am I meddling? Yep, that's, I'm a teacher. That's what I do. I'm kind of your spiritual trainer, right? Your physical trainer makes you painful. Well, sometimes a spiritual trainer makes it a little bit painful. But you know what? I'm doing that because I'd rather have you stand before God and hear well done rather than well. So when we think about living life, whatever we do, we do it all in his name. So that should affect how we live at home. Should it not? Right? In fact, if we do this, it will change the atmosphere of our home. If you don't like the atmosphere in your home, change it by doing everything that you do at home unto him. That means you pick up rather than waiting for somebody else to pick up after you. That means you put the dishes in the dishwasher, men, instead of setting them on the counter. You can open the door. I'm meddling. That means, kids, you pick up your BVDs or your Fruit of the Loom or whatever, and you put them in the dirty clothes instead of saying, no, that's her job. Ladies, you take care of him. Oh, see, why not... Why not beat each other in serving one another rather than waiting to be served? What a difference it would be in our homes. Kids, why don't you obey? Oh, parents, come on. It goes better when you obey. They know a little bit more. Believe it or not, they got old because they learned some things. Listen to them. It goes better when you obey, when you go to work. Don't leave Jesus in the trunk of the car or on the bus. Live it out. For a Christian, there is no such thing as situational ethics. It doesn't exist. There is a right and a wrong, and it's wrong to cheat customers, it's wrong to gouge, it's wrong to be one-upsmanship in everything that you do and try to cut someone else down so you can get the, the promotion. It's wrong. Jesus called you to be a servant. He called you to make someone else's life better on the job. Quit buying in to the business dogma and culture and start living kingdom. See, first his kingdom, and everything else he'll take care of. God wants to promise me, and he's kept the promise all 17 years that I've been in business on my own. He said, if you'll put my kingdom first, I'll take care of your business. And he's never once failed me. Somebody in this room as a business person has got to quit unethical practices because you're going to pay the price if you don't. And God wants you to deal with it now and do it now and do it soon because the consequences long-term are going to be much more painful than if you do it now. Make the change. What about our free time? You know, I had someone last night, I shared last night that we could change our neighborhood. Pick the orniest person on the block and choose to be a blessing to them. You know what someone did last night? 
And I said, why don't you go home and snow blow somebody's driveway? Be a blessing to the meanest person on the block. Snow blow their driveway. Some, guy, some young man came up to me this morning. He says, you know, we were here last night. Our family was here last night. My dad heard your message. He went out to snow blow our driveway, and he was gone a really long time. <laughs> and when he came back in, we said, Dad, where have you been? He said, well, I just snow blowed the driveway. He said, Dad, it doesn't take you that long. He said, well, I snow blowed four others too. <laughs> what a difference we could make. We can make a difference by the simplest things. Kids at school, quit bullying and step in and defend the one that's being bullied. Make him your friend. Find the kid that no one sits with at lunch in the cafeteria and sit with them. Befriend them. Be nice to them. Encourage them. Maybe they don't have a mom or dad that encourages them. Find the one that doesn't have a clean jacket, that doesn't have clean jeans, that doesn't have clean shoes, and give them a pair of yours, because you got 10 of them in the closet anyway. I'm, you know, just, I'm messing. But come on, let's make a difference. Parents, teach your kids now that they can live Jesus in their school. And parents, maybe that's something for you to do. Find a needy family. Find a family that's less blessed than yours. Clean out the closet and give them maybe even the new stuff. Oh, that's a novel idea. We always give the junk away. What if we went to the next level and gave them something new? What about our thought life? I'll leave that to rethink because we're going to do a whole series on that. But God wants in on your thought life. God wants in on your sex life. Okay, I got to just, I just, I'm running out of time, so I got to get in here fast. Aren't you glad it's going to be fast? God has an opinion about your sex life. I find it really interesting that God would use a single person to talk about this, but I just follow orders. God has an opinion about what happens in your bedroom and between the sheets. And his plan was, it, was that it should be a wonderful experience for both of you. Sit down and talk about it. Quit settling for just a physical exercise. Find out what can make each other fulfilled. Prioritize your whole marriage relationship in 2012. Quit just letting it exist and purpose to make it flourish this year. Make a difference in your marriage. Your kids will thank you for it. My parents, 93, 89, still married today. Do you know how thankful I am to that, for that? They've given us a great legacy. I would like to work on marrying my marriage in 2012. Just pray for me. Single people. Oh, you're slow. Single people. Single people, listen to me. Quit accepting what the world is telling you. That sex is simply a biological, a physical exercise. And it's some of the best exercise you can get. It isn't. It is a covenant meant for one person, your spouse. Quit sleeping around. In 2012, quit sleeping around. And your anxiety and your depression and your heartache and your torment will end. And you will finish 2013 with a heart at rest and peaceful and a body that's healthy and not wracked by some horrific disease. And finally, bring your finances under the lordship of Jesus. Quit 
spending like you have it all. He is Lord of the finances. He gave you the mind, the ability, and the opportunity to generate an income. Let him show you how to manage it. Quit spending without discipline. Get a budget. Start spending less than you make. Cut up the credit cards, whatever you have to do. Take financial peace this year. Break the back of debt over your life. And start a giving life. Start giving. Start tithing. Novel idea. Start tithing this year. Don't buy the flat screen for the Super Bowl. Just don't. Everybody's going to try to get you to buy a flat screen, a new flat screen TV for the Super Bowl. My brother bit. What? Anyway, just don't do it. And take the money and put it in a savings account and go on a global project or bless a family that needs something or just give it and see what God will do when you make him Lord of your finances. Because what happens when you do all this, you quit griping and complaining and your heart begins to be filled with thanks, which is the third part of this whole thing. You find out life is a whole lot more fun to live. When you choose to do everything as a service to him, as an honor and a glory to him, you start getting filled with joy. I am taking care of my 93 and 89-year-old parents. I didn't know that that was gonna, what I was going to be called to right now. I went home last night after service, tucked them in bed. I went home with a smile on my face and a heart full of joy. Not glamorous. Not what I would have chosen. But I'm so thankful. I have the opportunity to be Jesus to them in this time of their life. What's God calling you to this year? What's he going to say? Come out of your own small little world and start making somebody else's world a better place. Quit making yourself the focus of your life. Get Jesus in the center of your life and start realizing that you are his hands and his feet to bless someone else. Let the word whatever ring in your heart all year long so that you end 2012 in an entirely different place. You'll never be perfect in this. We can't do this perfectly. We celebrated communion today. Jesus did that because he knew we would fall short. I'm not asking you to live perfection. I'm just asking you set your heart on Jesus and make him central and supreme in your life. And I give you a money-back guarantee that your life will look different come January 1st of 2013. Every time you fall, repent. Every time you treat your family wrong, apologize. Ask them to forgive you. And then get up and in his grace and his mercy, go on. Don't quit pressing toward the mark of doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him. Father, we stand at the threshold of a new year. So many opportunities. 
366 days lie before us before we turn the page on a new year. God, today, I pray that we will submit each one of those days, one day, one moment at a time to you. God, meet us in our weaknesses, in our frailties. Break the yoke of sin and destruction off of our lives as we simply do everything in your name. God, I pray that the word whatever will ring in our hearts throughout this year. Let transformation happen in every one of our lives, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.